This episode of Podplay contains frequent course language and adult themes. Welcome to Podplay, a Theatre Republic production. This week we present Rabbits, written and performed by Emily Steele. Each week we'll hand the microphone over to the playwrights themselves so that they can give us an insight into the writing of the piece. I'll now hand over to Emily to tell us about the writing of Rabbits. Hello, I'm Emily Steele. I'm the writer and performer of Rabbits. I am talking to you today from Ghanaland, and I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and pay respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Rabbits is about being an immigrant in Australia. It is about being a new arrival to a land that you are aware has been stolen. It's about living in close proximity with people who are different from you and the stresses and conflicts that can come from that. It is about prejudices. And uh, the character that I play often voices some of those prejudices. Um, And what I want to be clear about is that I'm not endorsing those, but I do think that we need to acknowledge our prejudices before we can overcome them. Rabbits is based on real events from my life, um, but the version of me that I play in this is an exaggerated version. And uh, to be honest, um, I'm not sure I always like her very much. I think she's uh, one of the less likable versions of me, but um, I hope you find something in her to relate to. We thought there'd be furniture. In London, there'd be furniture. There's no furniture. There is space. Wide, open space. More space than we've ever had. More space than we know how to fill and no furniture. We have to make an emergency trip to Ikea, and I'm crying in Ikea because it shuts in half an hour, and I only have half an hour to choose a bed. And we have to find a base, and there's 20 of those, and a mattress, and there's 15 of those, and pillows, and sheets, and a duvet. A doona. And I'm crying in Ikea because he likes this bed, and I don't like it. And I don't want to be here. I want a house with furniture. I want my flat with my furniture that I packed up and gave away and sold and left on the other side of the world. But we're here. And we've got to choose a bed. So we take the one he likes, because I don't like any of them. And that's the one we sleep on that night, after spending an hour fighting over who's going to put it together and who's done it wrong. We spend the weekend in op shops. Op shops. What the fuck is an op shop? Finding chairs and tables and cutlery and plates. And a kettle. We need a kettle for tea. And somebody gives us a wardrobe. And somebody gives us a fridge. And the fridge has been in the garden, so we clean off the dirt. And the wardrobe has been in the garage, but we're too tired to clean out the cobwebs so we put it in the corner of the bedroom and leave our clothes in bags. Three days later, he says, Look that spider up on the internet. The spider we saw in the wardrobe. And I look on a website, and there's one with just that same body shape. Only that one's a redback. And it can't be a redback, because redbacks can kill you. And we've been asleep in that room for three nights. Did it have a redback? He says. I don't know. It was dark. I take a torch and go and look in the wardrobe. Has it got a redback? He says. Yes! It's got a redback. All five of them have a red back. What do we do? 
We phone the person who gave us the wardrobe. I phone her. I say, there are redbacks in the wardrobe. Oh, really? She says. What do we do? You kill them, she says. We go armed. Me with the torch, him with a flip-flop. A thong. A flip-flop. And I shine the light and he goes thwack, 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 thwack. This isn't the story I meant to tell you. The story I meant to tell you had been decided. I decided it. I decided a not-too-distant future. A population explosion. An apparently empty house. It was a metaphor, capital M. Not a country, but a house. And not rabbits, but people. And the rabbits themselves were a metaphor. Capital M, of course. And I have it, I said. It will only take me a few weeks to write it, and people will fall over themselves to programme it because it will be so brilliant. So brilliant. So clever. Such a good metaphor. So worthy. So timely. The play does not come to me. But I know what the scenes are. I know who the characters are. None of them will talk to me. This is me. Hello? 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 We live in a house by the sea. One road back from the sea. It's not really the sea. The real sea, the sea I grew up with, is really a river. A great brown river. And on a clear day, you can see the other side. There aren't many clear days where I come from. The sea is brown, the sky is grey. In summer, the sky is a bit less grey. But the sea is still brown, still ice cold. You can still go and sit on a cold grey rock and watch the brown sea and be melancholy and enjoy being melancholy until your arse is numb and you have to go home. And now we live in a house by the sea and it isn't really the sea because it's clear and it sparkles and the sun shines and the sky is blue and the sun is hot and I come back from 20 minutes sitting on the sand and I've got a new red V on my chest where I forgot to put on factor 50. And the house we live in isn't really a house. It's a unit. They call it a unit. I can't think of anything that sounds less inviting than a unit. A unit. It sounds like a cell. It isn't. It's nice. It's wood floors and this big back room, which is kitchen and dining room and living room all in one. And big windows and a balcony and a view of the hills. And a bedroom with a real fireplace. And a front room where I write. And all right, it's not a house. It's a unit. One unit of four. Because even if it looks like a house from the front, two houses joined together. If you go round the side, through the gate, down the slope that it's built on, there's another two units underneath at the back. There's a yard below our balcony, with a big palm tree. It's a bit like being on holiday. All the time. He says, I've been offered this job in Australia. Oh, we're in London. It's Christmas in London, and we've been together six months since he came for dinner and ate the food I burned and said it was nice and brought me a book about dead bodies, which is one of the nicest presents anyone's ever given me. And we rode our bikes round London in the night and I made a joke about a pigeon and he laughed and I felt understood. And one morning we woke up together and he said, I just had a dream about our kids. And now, he says, I've been offered this job in Australia. Oh. Are you going to go? I don't know. 
he says. Do you want to come? The air smells of eucalyptus. There are parrots in the park. Everyone says, Are you going? And no worries. And no dramas. And it bugs the shit out of me. When I'm trying to get the woman in the shop to connect my new phone and she says, No dramas. And I know there's no fucking dramas because I'm just stood here asking you to do your job. And the roads are wide, like America. And the cars are big, like America. And the people are nice, like America. But not like America, because in America they're nice because they want something, and here they're just nice because they're... nice. Why are you so nice? Is it because you're stupid? It must be because you're stupid. I try to be nice. I try to be much nicer than my real self. I try to be nice in a very British way, which means I'm being polite, which means I want you to go away, which means the politer I am to you, the more I want you to die. He goes to work. I sit in the house and write. And it's fine, because you can be a writer from anywhere. You just have to email it in. And why should it matter where you are when you do it? But it does matter. It matters that everyone is so nice, and the sun keeps fucking shining, and there is no drama. And what am I supposed to write about if nothing ever happens? gets out of this battered white car. She is dressed in peacock blue. She is big hair, shining black, and old skin all wrinkled and weathered, like she spent too much time in the sun as a child, and I can't tell if she is 40 or 60. She is eyeliner and lashes clumped together, and lipstick gone askew so her mouth looks broken, and she comes towards us with a stink that makes me want to stagger back. But I don't. I smile. Politely. You the new people, she says. Yes. We are. Gone kids. No. Good, she says. I'm next door. After that, I don't see her, but I smell her cigarettes every time I'm out on our balcony. I swear, I'm never out there more than a minute hanging the washing out or reading a book or having a cup of tea before there's the squeak of her door handle, the creak of her door, the click of her lighter, the stink coming round the thin bit of wood which is all that separates us from her and I am supposed to breathe her smoke and not mind or pick myself up and go inside, which is what I do, which is what I always have to do. And I think, can't you get some fags that don't smell quite so foul? Can't you rein it in a little bit? Can't you sometimes go a whole half hour without one? And I hate her. Of course, I hate her. And one calm, lovely night, I go out on our balcony and the sky is orange and the sun is just warm. And I'm not sorry to be in this strange place. And there's the squeak and the creak and the click and the stink. And I cough and I turn and I go back inside and I say to him, Crazy bitch is smoking again. The first time I see the Muslims, they're outside the house next door, 
Not Crazy Bitch's place, the other side. There's a woman and a little girl. And the little girl is crying. They're both in headscarves, and the little girl is only about ten. And she's crying. I'm coming back from the shop, and I hear her crying, and I see them on the doorstep, and I stare at them. Of course I stare at them, because they're outside the house next door, and they might have a bomb. But the little girl is crying, and they're out there on the doorstep, and what if they need help, and no one will help them, because they might have a bomb? I will help them. I will help them, even though they wear headscarves. I will help them, because they wear headscarves. I say, is everything okay? Yes, says the woman. Do you need any help? She just shut her finger in the car door. Oh, okay. And I've done it. I've proved myself. I've proved I'm not prejudiced. Except maybe they thought I was checking on them because they were Muslims, and maybe I was checking on them because maybe they do have a bomb. I realise, a few hours later, when my house has not exploded, they probably didn't have a bomb. I realise, a few days later, they were outside that house because they live there. He goes to work. I sit in our house. I pretend I'm writing, but I'm not. I'm drinking a thousand cups of tea and going to the shop for chocolate and watching TV on the internet. I sit in the house. I walk around the house. I spend time in each room just to use the space. Sometimes I get in the shower and cry. I watch the people who walk past the front window. I watch the tall man with dreadlocks who never has shoes. I watch the man who comes and rifles through our recycling bin. I watch the old woman who looks so much like my dead grandmother the first time I saw her my heart stopped. I go and walk along the beach. I walk with my feet in the water. I walk to one jetty and I walk to the other. I walk slowly to take up more time. People pass me. Runners and people with dogs. And people with friends. Talking. And the sun is so bright. He comes home some nights at eight, some nights at ten, from working in a fizz of excitement on this new thing and proving himself and getting caught in conversations about tomorrow and the next day and what they might do next week and next month and next year. And we have dinner and I say, oh yes, I've been writing. Oh yes, it's coming along. But I'm sad and I want to go home. This isn't the story I meant to tell you. I meant to tell you a very clever story about a rabbit plague and myxomatosis, which was meant to be a startlingly original metaphor for immigrants in Australia. But then that got shot to shit and I couldn't write that fucking play, so instead of that, you're getting this, and I apologise. Anyway. It's December again, and it's hot, and my brain is fucked because my body thinks it's August, and the shop assistants are wearing antlers and hot pants. And people are having Christmas dinner with roast potatoes and turkey. And what for? And they're singing about snow. And there's no fucking snow. And we spend the day on the beach catching fish off the jetty. And I send texts to my family. We're fishing and it's 30 degrees. And I mean them to sound... Delirious, confused, but from where they're sitting in their tiny drafty houses, I probably just sound smug. There's a night when I can't sleep. There's a night when I get up at four in the morning and drink tea. And at seven o'clock, I think, fuck it. And I go in the bathroom. And then I go in the bedroom and. I'm sorry to wake you, but is that two lines? 
or am I insane? And he looks at the wee-soaked stick and he says, You're not insane. And he smiles at me. And then, still smiling, he starts to cry. I am very pregnant. I am waddling back from the shop. I am carrying a box of eggs in my hand, and a woman, big hair, lipstick, the stink, stops me on the pavement and says, I'm your next door neighbour. Yes, sorry, I'm hopeless without my glasses. Do we have a problem with each other? She says. I'm smiling, I'm pregnant, I'm carrying eggs. I say, I don't have a problem with you. Do you have a problem with me? She says, I know you don't like my smoking. It's your balcony, you can do what you want. Anyway, she says, I might be moving to Melbourne, so I thought that'd make you happy. You'll be rid of the crazy bitch. She leaves a card in our postbox to wish us luck with the baby. She never does move to Melbourne. Selfish cow. We call our son Dingo before he's born. We call him that when we don't know if he is a he or if he is a she. We call him that because... A. It's the most inappropriate thing we can think of. And B. It sort of suits him. He's sort of an Australian animal. He's sort of not. He doesn't belong anywhere else, but he doesn't really belong here. We call my son Dingo because he is of this place. And not. When I first see him, all I can say is... Hello. 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 And the midwife says, blow in his face, make him take a breath. Hello. Hello. Blow in his face. And I do. And his first sound is... He says, we'd better not get a puppy as well, or his heart might explode. It starts to fade, the old place. You start one day not to miss it quite so much. The skin on your body isn't drawn quite so constantly to the other side of the world. You don't think all the time, well, this would be better at home. You stop exchanging money in your head for everything you buy. You stop wanting to vomit at the price of milk, or bread, or a Mars bar. You stop being horrified whenever people say, You'll end up staying! You stop saying, No, we're going home. You stop thinking of it so firmly as home. Someone catches a twang in your accent. Someone fails to notice you're from anywhere else. And you feel bereft. You feel lost. You feel like you might become whole again for the first time in years. You stop feeling like your body is here and your soul is there. And you feel like such a traitor for it. Feel like all the things you defined yourself by are slipping away. That you're becoming more like this than you are like that. You're beginning to see value in it. Being this way. You stop calling it stupid. You're afraid you're becoming stupid. And you wonder... What are you? Some kind of half thing. Some kind of double thing. And at some point, it stops mattering. Because there is a child. And you want only the best for that child. You want him to feel solid. You want him connected to the ground he stands on. You want him to be of the place he's in. Our new neighbour moves in downstairs. Small and round, receding hair. Short legs, 
lovely guy. He puts our bins out on bin day. We try to get in first and put his out. He catches us. He smiles and says, I wanted to do that this time. When he smokes his cigarettes, he smokes round the corner, so he isn't right under our balcony, so our washing doesn't smell. New neighbour invites him down for coffee. Not me, just him, which... Okay, whatever, I don't want to go anyway. He comes back and tells me they smoke shisha together. He's an accountant. He's had 40 girlfriends in a year. In a year? Apparently. We hear him fucking in his bedroom, which is right below our bedroom. Hear them squealing and him grunting. We see them come and go. He buys that one a car. Calls her his wife. She disappears after a week. The car stays, half repaired, in the driveway. He does gardening with this one. Prunes his tree, takes up paving, puts in shrubs. A lot of trouble for a place you're only renting. We see it all from our balcony. The latest one's so old, she looks like his mum. We call her that. We hear him fucking his mum. And then his mum disappears and we say, Maybe he killed her. Maybe he buried her in his new garden. Maybe he killed them all. And it's funny because he's tiny and nice and... Poor guy. He's been dumped by his mum. The Muslims are doing some building on their house. Their boy comes round. He's eight, maybe. He knocks on our door and tells us, his dad says, close the windows, they're going to knock down a wall. Okay. Thanks. We think it'll be the garden wall or something. And then the whole side of their house comes down. Crazy bitch does the hoovering. Crazy bitch walks down her hallway in high heels. Every time I take our boy out on our balcony, crazy bitch comes out on hers. There's the squeak, creak, click, stink. Come on, crazy bitch. I know you know what out here. I know you hear me talking to the boy. But crazy bitch needs another cigarette. And she needs it right now. So I have to pick the boy up and cough dramatically and say to the boy, We have to go inside now. We have to go inside. Sorry, baby. And I think, maybe she'll get lung cancer. Surely she'll get lung cancer. Maybe she'll get lung cancer and skin cancer and throat cancer. And tongue cancer. And... I haven't slept a full night in six months. Sometimes in the night, dropping the boy on the bed and saying, Your turn. Because he sleeps through everything and wakes up in the morning and says, How was he in the night? And when I have spent two hours awake trying to make the boy settle, and he finally has, and I am finally drifting off to sleep, He will start to snore, and he knows that happens if he sleeps on his back, and he still sleeps on his back, so I kick him, because if I'm awake and the boy's awake, I want him to be awake too. He says, I wish the baby would just go away for a couple of days, on a city break, to Prague. He says, he'll be 18 soon and he can leave home. No! When I have thought much worse things. Maybe I could bash his head against the wall, then he'd stop crying. I could just open my arms and he'd drop. I could just let go. I could do anything. He can't stop me. I could stick cotton buds all the way into his ears. I could clip his nails and catch the skin and make it bleed and feel so fucking awful. 
I could shut the door, let him cry for an hour, and congratulate myself for being... strong. Sometimes our boy lies on his back on the rug and kicks his feet against the floor. Sometimes I hear someone mimicking the tap-tap, tap-tap, tap-tap. I think it's next door. I think it's Crazy Bitch. Of course it's Crazy Bitch. Crazy Bitch is crazy. One evening I'm tapping the boy's mattress, the mattress in his cot, trying to get him to sleep, and I hear the same rhythm coming up through the floor. I have to pick the boy up and rock him again, and when he's asleep, I put him in his cot and go out down the side of our house, through the gate, to our new neighbour's yard. It's dark down there, and I haven't got a torch. I can't see anything. I feel my way round the corner and tap on the door. Hello? Tap, tap. Hello? Hello, he says. Oh! He's been sat there, outside, in the shadows, watching me. I can barely see the shape of him sat in the chair and then I see the glow of his cigarette. Then I smell it. Why didn't I smell it before? Are you trying to fix something? He says. No, I'm... The tapping? I'm tapping the boy's mattress. The nurse taught it to me. I'm trying to get him to sleep. I thought maybe you're trying to fix something. No. If you're trying to fix something, maybe I could just fix it for you. I'm trying to get the boy to sleep. I can try something else. If it's for the boy, it's no problem. New neighbour makes a cake for the boy's first birthday. The boy can't eat it because of the sugar and, frankly, it's a bit dry. But, you know, thanks. He says he's a really good guy. I think kids are big in his culture. So our boy was born here. So this is his home. So this is the only place he's ever lived. He has me. He has his daddy. And we are his country. Our house is his country. Our house that isn't ours. Our house that we rent. Our house that they come round and check every three months that we haven't done anything terrible shat on the floor and rubbed it in. I don't know what else they think we're going to do. I don't know why they think we're going to fuck it up. We have to live in it. And the boy plays with a ball on the rug and squeals at himself in the mirror, oblivious that this place may not want him and that place may not want him either. And it cracks my heart that he belongs nowhere except with me. The Muslims give us presents for the boy and chocolates at Christmas. We are always taken by surprise and never have gifts to give back. What we ought to do is find out when Ramadan is and give them something then. But what if we get it wrong? What if we do something stupid? What if we give them food when they're supposed to fast? Or what if we just look like patronising twats? So we give them nothing. Every time we see them outside, we say, You should come for tea! And they say, You should come for tea! And they never do. And we never do. Until one day I meet Dad Muslim and Mum Muslim in the street and I say, You should come for tea. And they say, You should come for tea. And I say, OK, when? And they look awkward and say, Tomorrow? Come tomorrow. So we do. He and I and the boy. We go round to the Muslims for tea. The Muslim boy and the Muslim girl play with our boy. Their boy picks our boy up. Their boy shows our boy a remote control car. Their girl tickles him. Their girl wearing a headscarf with her sleeves to her wrists and her trousers to her ankles. And her brother in a t-shirt and shorts. And Dad Muslim says his mum is coming to live with them from Syria. And his brother and his wife and their son. And they thought when they bought this big house they wouldn't know what to do with it. But now they're going to fill it. And we talk about Syria 
and Dad Muslim talks about the places in Syria that feature in the Bible, as if they're important to us because of the Bible. But I think he means to be kind. One day, I get up, and there's a smell. Not a strong smell, but a bad smell. I can smell it, mostly, when I'm stood in one corner of the kitchen. It smells like something rotting. I think it's the food bin, the food scraps, the little bin on the worktop by the cooker, with the tea bags and bits of tomato and mouldy avocado that get so full we have to press the lid down because neither of us wants to go outside and empty it. I empty the food bin. I leave the boy playing on the rug for a minute and I take the little plastic pot and go out and open the big green bin and dodge the flies and chuck the scraps in. I wash the food bin with lime-scented washing-up liquid. The smell is still in the kitchen. I empty the big kitchen bin in case it's nappies, in case a piece of meat has been thrown in there accidentally or the wrapper from some sausages is festering at the bottom. Even the new scented glad bag doesn't cover that smell. I look in the space down the side of the fridge. I stare at the cracks in the floorboards. I think, it can't be spilt milk that seeped into the wood. Can it? It can't. I'm sure it can't. I must be imagining the smell which is there on the edge of everything all day while I play with the boy and change him and feed him. And fuck me if it's not getting stronger. And all the bins are empty and I am flummoxed and I think I'm going mad. And I go and stand in that corner of the kitchen and I look. And I look and I look and I look and I see... One of the knobs on the top of the cooker. One of the knobs is turned ever so slightly to the left. And now, if I listen, there's a tiny little hiss. And oh, fuck me, it's gas. Of course it's gas. How could I not have known it was gas? It's been gas all day while I turned on the kettle for tea and turned on the lights and I turned that knob off and I grab the boy and throw open the back door and stand outside on the balcony. And oh shit, no, that's no good. And I dash through the house with the boy in my arms and out the front door. And how far do we need to be if it blows? He comes home early and finds us sitting outside. Me still wide-eyed, the boy not bothered at all. And he laughs. He laughs at me. He says, I'm sure it's gone now. How are you sure? How long have you been out here? Half an hour. He laughs. I say, it's your fault. How is it my fault? Because you cleaned the cooker last night. You should never clean the cooker. It starts on Easter weekend, like he is fucking risen. The thumping music starts in the morning, carries on all day, till it's time to put the boy to bed. He says, it can't be coming from downstairs, even though the floor is shaking. He goes next door and talks to Crazy Bitch. But of course it isn't her, because she's only got one CD. I've heard it. It's Nirvana. He even goes and talks to the other guy, who lives underneath Crazy Bitch. But it isn't him either. He says, It can't be downstairs. Because he's so considerate. But he sends a text that says, Hi mate. Is it your music that's up loud? And he gets a reply that says, Sorry, bro. I use the music to get over your heavy steps. Thanks for looking after your neighbours. He's being a prick. No, he says. He can't be. He isn't. Yeah, he's being a prick. He is being a prick. 
Next day, when the boy falls over on the rug, we get an hour of thump, 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 thump. The boy falls over twice. Two hours of thump, thump, thump. I walk across the kitchen with the boy in my arms. He bangs on the wall and screams, Shut the fuck up! I hate it. I feel attacked. I feel bullied. We get thump, thump, thump every evening and the slamming of doors. We start calling him the dwarf. I am afraid in the night. I am afraid the dwarf will throw a brick through the bedroom window and it will land in the boy's cot and crush his head. I am afraid he will get hold of a gun from his dodgy-looking friends and he will sit downstairs listening and if he hears a sound he will let off a bullet into his ceiling and it will come through our floor and kill my son because he dropped his toy. I am afraid I will wake up in bed and the dwarf will be the shadow in the doorway and I will not have a knife or anything and I will not move fast enough and he will hurt the boy. I tell him I'm going to talk to the police. I tell him I've talked to our neighbours, not crazy bitch, the Muslims, and they said they'd help. And he says, hmm, like he's not really bothered. He says he should talk to him first. I don't want you to talk to the dwarf. I don't want you to go down there on your own. I'll be fine, he says. I can talk to the police. I can go and get the Muslims. I'll be fine on my own, he says. Well, fuck you then. You'll be fine. You'll be fine on your own. You've had all this time. You've had weeks. You've watched me, afraid, and all this time you've been thinking you should go and talk to him. Well, fuck you. Fucking talk to him then. I want him to go down and hurt the dwarf. I want him to go and scare the shit out of the dwarf. But he won't. Because that's not who he is. So he goes. And I listen on the balcony. Hi, mate, he says. Hi, buddy, says the dwarf. I've come to talk about the noise, he says. What noise, says the dwarf. What noise, you little fuck? The noise you said you're hearing from our footsteps, he says. This wrong foots the dwarf. The dwarf babbles. The dwarf says... I am a hard-working man. I come home and I study. I cannot relax in the evenings because your footsteps are so loud. He says, maybe it's a problem with the building? Maybe the floor's very thin. Maybe it's the boy learning to walk. We'll try to keep him on the rug. We'll try to take our shoes off when we get in the front door. He says, instead of the music and banging and shouting, Maybe you could just send a text and let us know. In my culture, says the dwarf, we don't say things directly. In our culture, he says, we show each other respect. The dwarf says he will invite him for coffee if things get bad. And there is no music or shouting for... Ah, days. We start smelling smoke in our kitchen. The first time we smell it, we don't know what it is. Is something on fire downstairs? He texts the dwarf. The dwarf says, No smell here. But we can smell smoke in our kitchen, like it's coming up through the floorboards. Maybe he's smoking his shisha pipe, he says. Whatever! It's not allowed! He gets a text from the dwarf. It says, Thanks for taking empty bin to the road. Cheers, and don't do it again. OK. The next week he gets another text. It says, Hey, buddy, I told you before. Don't as don't take the bin out. We haven't touched his bin. The dwarf says, If that is your humour, I will make live and love my humour 100%. We don't have a fucking clue what that means. One night when he gets home from work, the dwarf is waiting outside. Hey, buddy, says the dwarf. Hey, mate, he says. My bin's been in the road for two days, says the dwarf. Well, we didn't put it there, 
he says. Be a man, says the dwarf. Crazy bitch starts doing Airbnb. That's not allowed, crazy bitch. I am trying to write the play. He has taken the boy out so I can write the play. I'm sitting quietly in the front room. The music starts. Thump, 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 thump. I try to write the play. Thump, 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 thump. I try to write the play. Thump, 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 thump. I go and get painkillers. I try to write the play. Thump, 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 thump. Fuck this. I call him. I say, I'm calling the police. He says, talk to the dwarf first. Give him a chance. I don't want to give the dwarf a chance. I don't want to give the dwarf a chance. I give the dwarf a chance. I go down and talk to the dwarf. I take the torch with me, even though it's 2pm, just in case I have to hit him with it. Tap, tap. I say, I've just come to ask you, politely, to turn down your music. The dwarf says, how else can you ask me? This is my home. Oh, boo-hoo dwarf. Boo-fucking-who. Well, I've asked you politely, and if you can't turn it down, I'm going to have to call the police. Fine, says the dwarf. Okay. I call the police. I call them on the non-emergency number. I'm not a total asshole. The police arrive in 15 minutes. I'm impressed. In London, the police wouldn't come that quick if you were being murdered. They go down and talk to the dwarf. I go out on the balcony so I can hear. The dwarf says, I am a hard-working man. Boo-hoo, dwarf. I work. I study. Boo-hoo. They walk so heavily. They drop food on me. They sweep dust off their balcony onto my things. That's not true. We haven't swept the balcony since we moved in. The police ask the dwarf to turn the bass down. The dwarf turns the bass down. They come back and tell me he said this, he said that, and it's so fucking stupid. And I say, I know he's not a big guy, but I feel like there's violence about him. And one of them says, yeah. And then it all gets to me and I'm crying and the policewoman says, don't stress. If he comes and bangs on the door, you don't open it. You just call us. He's an annoying little turd. The police think the dwarf. He's an annoying little turd. After that, the dwarf puts a lock on his gate so we can't go and talk to him. He texts us to tell us not to text him anymore. One day, he says, Have you seen the broken picture frame in the dwarf's yard? I have seen it. I've seen it from the balcony. It's been there for weeks. The glass is broken and the frame is broken and it's lying there on its cardboard back. It's weird, he says, because the dwarf's such a neat freak. It is weird. It's weird because if he'd thrown it or dropped it, the glass would have smashed and scattered. It's weird that he picked it up and left it there. It's weird that he left it right out by the tree where we can see it. He says... Do you think it's a message? I think it's a message. Do you know what the message is? Is it? There's something wrong with this picture. He says, maybe it's some kind of voodoo. We Google broken picture voodoo. I smell gas outside by the meter box. It's filling the air around the meter box by our front door. Maybe the meter is damaged. Maybe the meter is damaged because the box bangs in the wind. Maybe the dwarf has done it on purpose. Maybe he's trying to kill us and blow us up in our sleep and hurt my boy. Well, fuck you, dwarf, because I have smelt it and I've found the emergency number on the box and I'm going to call it. The woman on the phone says they'll come out and check it. No worries. But I don't hear them come. And in the morning there's a card in the post box that says, We found a leak and we fixed it. But I think they're lying because I can still smell gas.
I am meant to be writing. I am meant to be writing this fucking play. I can't write because there are voices outside the window. The dwarf. The dwarf and crazy bitch. The dwarf is fixing crazy bitch's car. I can't hear what the dwarf is saying. But crazy bitch says, Yeah, sometimes I hear the little one. What if they're saying, yes, they are horrible people, her and him and the boy, they pretend to be nice and then they call you things behind your back and stamp on your ceiling and put your bin out when you ask them not to? What if the dwarf is plotting with Crazy Bitch to drive us out, to smoke us out? And I've been so stupid. I should have got Crazy Bitch on our side before. We take a big box of jelly beans round to the Muslims. The boy is walking better and falling over less, but the dwarf keeps banging and shouting. The boy walks across the floor. The dwarf goes, bang, bang, bang. And sometimes the boy laughs. And I laugh because the boy laughs. And I think the dwarf hears me laughing because he slams out into the yard and shouts, noisy fuckers, noisy fuckers. The boy walks between us after his bath for a cuddle from mum and a cuddle from Dad, and we're laughing, and the dwarf goes, BANG! 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 One morning, the dwarf bangs, the dwarf shouts, the boy doesn't laugh. The boy stops in his tracks with his eyes all big and says, Dad? No, baby, it's not Dad. Dad wouldn't do that. And I have to make light of it all, make it okay for my boy. And that night, the boy runs across the bedroom carpet for a book, and falls over. Bang! 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 I call the police. The dwarf bangs. I call the police. The dwarf bangs. I call the police. The dwarf bangs. The dwarf shouts. The dwarf screams. I call the police. One day we're going to the park and the boy runs down the hallway with his shoes on and the dwarf goes bang! 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 And I get the boy out of the house and I call the police and my voice is shaking on the phone, and the policewoman enters our address in her computer and she pauses. Like there's something on her screen. She says, Do you have a partner? I say yes. She says, Good. That's good. It's good you're not alone with the baby. Keep calling, she says. Call us every time he does it. That evening, at home, the boy walks across the rug. The dwarf screams, Fucking cunt! I call the police. The police come. The dwarf denies everything. No, I have never shouted at them. I have never used bad language. Do they think I'm shouting in English? Maybe I'm shouting at my Xbox. Have you recorded him shouting or banging, say the police. No. He's got recordings of you. Doing what? And a few days later, we get a letter saying the dwarf is trying to have us evicted. Here is the dwarf's evidence. Their bin smells. Their bin has flies. They do not put their bins out in a year. They put my bins in the street for a joke. They jump up and down on the floor. They say they bang on the floor to keep the child silent. They follow me from room to room and jump above my head. They jump so much the walls shake. My picture frames fall off the wall. I have left one in the yard so they will see it and know what they have done. They say, am I smoking inside? Am I smoking shisha? I do not smoke shisha. But it is not illegal. They blame the wood floor. They blame the child. Does the child know if I am going to sleep and come and jump above my bed? And what about the bins? Also the child? And what about my mail going missing? Also the child? And what about the wood that got jammed in my lock?
also the child? Why should I put up with this just because they got a child? They say I am an immigrant, but they are also immigrants. They make me feel I have no home. This isn't the story I meant to tell. And I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Because you've been so kind. And it's not because you're stupid or because I'm so impressive. But because you're good. And interested. And big inside. And not worried. Why would you be worried? The dwarf smokes under our balcony. Crazy bitch smokes on her balcony. I wake up in the mornings and I can smell gas. The Muslims welcome their family from Syria. Crazy bitch has a yard sale. The boy laughs. The boy talks. The boy plays. The dwarf bangs. He goes to work. I write up our evidence. I write 54 pages of evidence. And it's almost Christmas. And I meant to be writing this play. I meant to be writing this fucking play. In London, this would never happen. In London, people know how to live close together. In London, we wouldn't even know our neighbours. I wish I was in London. With the people I like. And the theatres I like and the libraries I like, and the pubs I like. Why don't you go back there, then? Because I can't. Now. Because I can't. Because I will have to live in a smaller house. And I can't now. Because I will have to get another job. And I can't now. Because I will have to start again. Again. And I can't now. Because I am the rabbit. I don't know if I have any right to be here. I'm afraid I don't. I'm afraid to say I have been unhappy. I'm afraid to say I have hated it here. I have been bored. Bored. Sad. Bored. Because I am the rabbit, and I should be poisoned. Because I show up at the Spirit Festival, and I watch Samson and Delilah, and I say I acknowledge the traditional owners. But if someone broke into my house, and took my son, and laughed at my knowledge and called me primitive, and ugly and stupid, or called me special, and talked down to me, and expected less of me, and then they said, We acknowledge the owners of this house. We get a note in our postbox. One of those, sorry we missed you, notes from the post office. And I think for a second I have a parcel. And then I notice the name and it isn't me. It's crazy bitch. It's actually a parcel for... Angela. Next door. And I'm sorry, you know, that I never said thank you for the card she left us. And I'm sorry that I never once took the boy round to see her. So instead of just dropping the note in her postbox, I go over and knock on her door. The look on her face when she opens it. The surprise that it's me. And she takes the note from me and says... Thank you. As if she can't quite believe I've actually done something nice. I see an old woman now, sometimes, outside the Muslim's house, and she wears a headscarf and long, flowing clothes. We could call her Muslim grandma. Although, actually, let's not. She's come from Syria. I've never seen her smile. When she stands in the sunshine, she looks as if it's not her sunshine. The shining blue sea is not her sea. She looks as if 
This isn't the place she wanted to be old in. But she has to be here now, because there isn't anywhere else for her to be, because of the bombs and the bullets, and the people who say it belongs to them, and the people who say it belongs to them, and she has to be here, because all she has left is her family, and... I hope the dwarf is unhappy. I hope he's anxious. I hope he's depressed. I hope he's lost everyone he ever loved. Maybe one day he will hurt himself while he's fixing his car. Maybe he'll slice off his hand or get stuck under a wheel. Maybe he will shout for help and I will be the only one to hear him. Maybe I will tell him, It's okay. I'll call an ambulance. And maybe I will call it, after I've had a cup of tea. Maybe we will go, me, and him, and the boy, and the dwarf can have this fucking place, he can have it. And maybe when we're scrubbing the dirt out of the kitchen so we can get back our fucking deposit, maybe I'll be cleaning the top of the cooker. Maybe I'll nudge one of the knobs. Maybe there'll be a tiny little hiss. And when we are gone, when my boy is gone, maybe one night the dwarf will come in from work and decide he's going to just light up. No worries. No dramas. She'll be right, eh? You've been listening to Podplay, a Theatre Republic production. Podplay was recorded on Ghana land and is supported by the Department of Premier and Cabinet through Arts SA. Podplay is directed by Corey McMahon, produced by Manda Flett, with sound design, composition and editing by James O'Bourne.